country. Hello, this is the Eyes on Isles podcast, powered by the Fansided Sports Network. I am your host, Joe Bono. Follow me on Twitter at IslesFits and subscribe to our Monday through Friday Islanders newsletter. And I'm joined once again by our full-time recurring guest, the man who saw this from a macro level coming a mile away, Mr. Andy Francis. How are you, sir? Doing all right, and... It doesn't. I don't take any pleasure in seeing the uh, fruits of my sniff, as I like to call it, uh, bear in fruition. I, I wish I wasn't right. I wish they continued to get lucky. I wish the third period comebacks were sustainable. I wish, I wish, I wish. But unfortunately, and even in those wins, I saw the level of gameplay that eventually was going to come crumbling. And although it is crumbling, it is very interesting to see uh, – the carnies really go wild and call for a pound of flesh, as somebody put out there yesterday. One, six, and three in the last 10 games cannot score more than three goals in the games, have not scored a third period goal in the last 10 games. That's an insane stat. Uh, no third period goals, considering the fact that that was their, you know, that was their bread and butter. That's what they you know, put the feather in their cap was how well they played in the third period uh, throughout the first two months of the season. That uh, third period differential, I think, is now down to plus one after the 5-2 loss to Toronto. And um, the first two months of the season, that part of the sentence you just said, I can't reiterate this any further for 2023, 2024, 2029, 2037. It is fake hockey. Fake hockey. Hockey, it's the equivalent of watching the preseason. You have teams who have new players. You're mixing and matching line combos. You're mixing and matching power play personnel. You're figuring out system shifts, coaching shifts. All of that stuff is fake. Anything you see in October, September, well, that's preseason, but November, you should never cling on to because that's always, it's hardly the case When the games really count. And that's what you're starting to see now at the 50 game mark when people need points or they're going to be out of the playoff race. You're seeing who teams really are. And your little tricks, your October tricks aren't working anymore. And this is what will happen every year for the rest of time. So don't get too high on teams early in the year and don't get too low on teams early in the year. That's all I will say on that. So for the last, you know, couple games, right? The the Carolina game was more of a you know, kind of what did you expect type of game, even though they came back and scored two goals in the first period, tied it up after going down 2 nothing, and then Sebastian Ajo had his way with Sebastian Ajo, uh, got the hat trick and, and won that game. But the Toronto game, you know, you heard the news in the morning, not only were Kyle Palmieri and Adam Pellick skating with the team, but they were taking rushes with the team. They were working on the power play. They were working on the rotation with the defense, the defense pairs. They were going to play. And there was a hint of optimism to be like, okay, can this be a little bit of a fresh start, even with Noah Dobson uh, missing his first game in 114 games and being out with something nagging him? We'll see whether or not he returns to the lineup. And then, so you kind of have some optimism coming into the game. You're a little excited to see Bulldog play as well. And then they have that first period, and you're going, oh, okay. Did Adam, Adam Pellick mean this much of a difference? Did Kyle Palmieri mean this much of a difference? This is what's going on in your head to try to make you feel better about the last nine games you saw. Yeah, when you when you describe these situations hitting. and you do a good job, it's like you're playing the part of some regular guy walking <laughs> down the block who wears a generic lids cap 
and Levi's jeans, has three meals a day, a wife and two kids, and a Chase That's debit card and a MacBook Pro. But <laughs> but it's like those <laughs> are just such jeans. basic thoughts that you forget. Okay. That's how they majority those- of people, that's how most people are looking at this. And as a fan, you are looking for signs to make you feel good, to try to convince yourself that there's going to be a season left. And these were the things that okay. were happening to make you try to convince yourself that there well, was Well, now that's a whole different thing. If you're trying to convince yourself something good's going to happen, if you're trying to make yourself feel better, then yes, fine. That's what I was but doing. I was trying to okay, make myself I, oh, feel I better. Don't- I don't but know. But it also looked good. Land. But but even um, the product on the ice was good in the first period. It wasn't just Fantasyland fake was. hockey and had a one hundred percent played really well. Hundred hundred percent. But the and reason I second. wasn't too I wasn't too um disc, uh, disconcerted or I wasn't too uh that's the wrong word choice, but I wasn't too optimistic about this breathing new life into them. Cause I remember when Pellick was out there and I remember when Paul Mary was out there, the same kind of issues persisted. The only difference is it was earlier in the year and the Islanders were able to scam a couple of wins out of it. But people back during that time were already saying like, Oh wow, this is what Pellick's like without trots complaining about Paul Mary, including me calling him just some regular guy out there. I guess that's the theme of this episode. Regular Reg- guy wearing leaves, jeans. Regular guys, regular dungeons. players, regular thinkers. Yeah. And that, for me, I was like, okay, well, it's nice that maybe they'll be able to add a couple of guys and maybe roll out more lines with consistency and optimism and having confidence in those lines and players. But I, I didn't think that this is going to be like, oh, yeah, now watch them go. In that first period – what I what you saw in that first period is essentially what I've been complaining about for weeks slash months. It wasn't a skill thing that I've been calling for. It was a will thing. They did not look like they were playing hard, desperate hockey. Yay, we got one period, maybe a little bit more. They kept fighting halfway through, but I loved seeing that. I loved seeing that first period because at least it confirmed to me, oh, Oh, they can play like this. They can give it their all. They just choose not to. And it was honestly more depressing than anything because I knew in my head, I'm like, there's no way these guys can't try harder than they are. You can see that level in Hudson fashing. I've been bringing up. You see him digging in the corner every single shift. will fight for every puck. You're not seeing that from the players. Well, you saw that in the first period. You saw what it's like when you have these veterans really slam the gas and try to give everything they have. And they were rewarded with the lead. If they brought that effort versus some of those bottom feeders, they would have crushed them. And you didn't see it in all those games. And now you think, what, you can go up in Toronto, show it for a period, and that's going to suffice? No. But at least it was nice to see it momentarily. And, and you know, Thomas Hickey said this uh, during the game that it was, uh, you know, a period of, of moments. And, you know, you look at the uh, stat lines at the end of the game. I think the Islanders had it just a just sounds a like court. a fake saying, by the way. No, Sorry no, no. I know what he meant. I know what he meant. You know, there are certain – you know, I'll never forget in college, somebody told my roommate, he goes, ah, you know how it is. Uh, I think I'm just going to take things one day at a time. And then my friend just leaned over. He goes, what other way is there to take things? And it really, it's just one of those sayings. You can just apply to anything. Well, you know, this day it was full of an aggregation of moments. Yes. Yes, very poignant. It was. What the <laughs> hell does that mean? Every period well, of every game as, is an aggregation of moments. of moments. But I think his point was, 
and that I was getting to, right? You look at the stat lines at the Sorry. end of the game. Islanders had a better Corsi. They had a lot. They usually had more um, high danger chances. They matched them on scoring chances. It wasn't like the Carolina game, you know, but there were I mean, four breakaways, three goes, three go in the net, and each one is a mistake being made. It was a different way of getting to the same result is what my point was comparatively, I think, to the last couple of games. Now, whether or not that means anything going into the Ottawa uh, game and they do have a bit of a softer schedule coming up. We'll see what happens. I think six out of the eight, next eight opponents are actually teams behind them in the standings, which is getting harder to do uh, considering they were just left by both Florida and Buffalo. But it was a little bit weird. That second period was strange in the type of goals they gave up, all the breakaways. Mayfield obviously made a really bad turnover. Nylander uh, scored a really pretty goal and they pretty much hung Sorokin out to dry and it was actually quite good to hear Lane Lambert say you know it was unacceptable after the game because he hasn't really said that he's been a little wishy-washy um which I think the tone is I think I think the tone whenever um an Islander coach is starting to get compared to like Jack Capuano's post games that's kind of the uh, the moment in which you need to kind of reevaluate um how you're talking through the media to the fans because there are certain times when they just want you to call out the team and sound angry and you know, two, three, four weeks of, ah, oh, we, we deserve better. We did a lot of good things. We need to find a way. Came down to a couple plays. No, we want to hear. I, I, I was refreshing to hear that those plays, those breakdowns were unacceptable. And it's been a lot I mean, of unacceptable. If it takes options. that kind of a, you should concede one breakaway every six games, potentially, maybe even 10. The fact that it takes four and a penalty shot in a game to get, hey, that's kind of unacceptable. That's the least he could say. You should never see a breakaway. You should, you should get max one, two on one a game. That's what proper teams are supposed to concede. But this is not, you know who we saw in Toronto? The Islander team that we were kind of promised, who would throw caution to the wind, be exciting, give you a bunch of chances. They probably could have scored more than they did. And just, I always thought they would end up in a loss that way. This is kind of how I thought the Islanders were going to lose all year. However, um, you know, like I said, it's just been a continuation of Trotz's offense with Wade's defense. This time we got a little bit of Wade's offense. I know it wasn't rewarded with more goals, but uh, it was a classic Doug Wake game out there uh, in Toronto. It was nice. You talk about breakaways and maybe even penalty shots. I know how much you love random stats that don't mean anything. Um, do you yep. know how many penalty shots the Maple Leafs have had this year? Mm, three? Five. And they've scored on zero of them. And last night was the first penalty shot in any Islanders game since Cole Bordreau. What I was saying last night to nobody, myself, I said this to myself, was you should have the option, if you're tripped on a uh, breakaway, to either take the penalty shot or also take a power play. I agree. Penalty. So let us choose. Like, do you want the penalty shot? And you can either decline it or take the power play. Because when you have a power play like the Leafs, you don't want bunting going in on a right. break or you know, maybe soccer good. style would be like, okay, uh, you know, Austin Matthews is going to take the penalty shot for us. Not the guy who was actually taken down. Um, and I get, I get yes. in the yeah, game and that's another, yeah, especially when all the rules, like if you think about why they implemented that, you can't go to a commercial uh, or you, after you ice the puck, you can't go to a commercial when, uh, when you take a penalty, it automatically comes deep into your zone. All mm-hmm. these things they've slowly been integrating since that lockout in 0304, the trapezoids, you name it, has been to get the goal scoring up. Every single rule is catered 
for an increase in offense because an increase in offense ac- across all sports has historically led to higher ratings. So I get what they're trying oh, to Islanders do. Needs, so Islanders need some uh, new rules <laughs> based yeah. on uh, the last 10 games where they have scored three goals exactly uh, once um, in the yeah. you ever hear, game against uh, the Capitals that they blew a 3 nothing lead and lost in overtime. Yep. Yeah. The, the, new, the way things are around here, either you get a lead and blow it, or you give up a lead and you can't score again. It's a great combo combination with reason. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of new rules, just a really quick sidebar. I'm not sure if you've heard about the new competition taking place at the all-star game uh, at the start of February that just got announced. What is it? It's the NHL splash shot where eight shooters, four teams each, will have a single elimination tournament. Players competing head-to-head required to hit all targets before dunking their opponents uh, into the dunk tank. This is a carnival. This belongs on Hempstead Turnpike. That's where this competition (laughs) should be taking place. Right behind that Marriott Champs or whatever that thing was. Champions. Oh, Champions Bar and Grill. That was fun. Um, All right. I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, uh, and this was... This was a long time, like when you were a kid and uh, opposing players would stay Mm -hmm. there and they would just walk to the arena. And there was a time throughout the day where the players would just walk over and you can just hold an autograph up. It was, you know, those very simple times where an autograph sufficed. And I got that real authentic in his face mullet Yaramir Yager because, I, you know, I like the Penguins. Yeah, this was when the Penguins had Robitaille, Yager, Lemieux. Uh, I'm not sure. I think now Francis wasn't still there, but like Larry Murphy, Shell Samuelson, Olaf Samuelson, and the prize that I remember I, I put the card like direct. Well, I was a kid, so however high I could reach, like right up there, and he signed it, gave it to me. I think I, I definitely, I definitely still have that somewhere. I was at, yeah, um, I, I was at Lemieux's 500th goal, which happened at the Coliseum. Yeah. Against Tommy Soderstrom, I believe. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, all right, let's let's just segue into kind of the reaction of the fan base. And, you know, you mentioned uh, needing a pound of flesh. Obviously, whatever you want to think about Lane Lambert at the moment, he's not done anything that's really impressed you. Um, but it's still a first-year head coach, hasn't been dealt a great hand. There have been injuries, there has been adversary, but he hasn't been able to find solutions to dig the way out of it, certainly. But all the ire is really towards Lou Lamarillo. And... The thing is, where do you go from here? If you're the Islanders, what do you want them to do over the next couple months if nothing changes in terms of results between now and the March trade deadline? If they are continuing to sink in the Eastern Conference where they're five, seven, nine points out, what do you want to have happen? Well, you can see, I understand people are trying to give like a certain benefit of the doubt to Lane Lambert. But there are little things within there you can clearly see the lack of adjustments being made, the struggling power play, the inability to be creative, which you see other teams do. I don't care if it means trying five forwards to at least help spring something into action. I don't care if it means in one of these third periods, go back to that thing that worked earlier in the year where they were combining Barzal and uh, Brock Nelson on the same line. You see other teams do this. You've seen the yeah. Colorado Avalanche break up Ranton and McKinnon and stack them. You've seen that with the Lightning break up Kucherov, Stamkos, and stack them when the time calls for it. There's there's no there's no significant in-game adjustments, game to game. There are these blah adjustments that 
have little to no impact on the final results. So within what he's showing us, you can see like he's offering so little in terms of you would feel his his fingerprint on some of these day-to-day kind of lineup changes and power play changes and all these types of things, but you don't. He just continues to roll it out there just like that old T-shirt, just, "Ah, I'm going to wear it. It's all right. Nah, I'm going to wear it. It's all right. You know, don't worry about the little hole there. You know, it sounds like you're and you're wearing an you're wearing an old Islanders T-shirt. It looks like at the moment. This was this was just purchased for me uh, on on Christmas. <laughs> All right, I'm not kidding. It's one of those new ones that kind of are meant to look a little bit old. You know, that faded. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like the uh, like the Ario Speedwagon shirts you see Kendall Jenner wearing, claiming to be <laughs> retro. <laughs> Gonna keep on. Um, yeah. The, I, I hear you on Lambert because the power play, and you know, it's weird that John McLean has not gotten the Scott Gomez treatment quite yet. It's like no one utters his name; he's just there. But all the power play Voldemort, concerns, yeah. Um, and they've they, you know, they, it was too long to actually make some changes on the power play. They waited too long. You know, the questions going back to the concerns around the power play were at first dismissed, and he was citing where they were in the league and that the power play was over twenty percent. But, you know, watching it, you knew they had problems and they, they waited too long to make some changes. And the changes that they made, they're not sticking with them. They're kind of just moving on to other things. So that could be called out, I think, as a, obviously the biggest problem that they've had over the last two, three, four weeks. And then the Barzell thing, you know, Andrew Gross put out a tweet which showed all the line mates that he had over the, I don't know how many, 10 to 15 games. And I agree with you. The Islanders are not getting any offense. Why not just stack? your best three offensive players at this point and see what the heck happens. Why not just play Nelson with Barzell and Lee and whatever else happens of the second and third line. So be it. Why haven't we, why haven't they tried that? Even if, even if it's just in, in the game at a certain point, just, just to get a little, you know, throw a little something different in there. Even if it's a period to period adjustment, you don't have to keep it all the time. Like I'd mentioned those teams before. Sometimes they do it just if they need a momentum shift. And you just don't see anything like that. And it's those are the little hints that they that he gives to say, nah, I'm just kind of doing it like this and that's it. They just use Barzell's line. And he said something like, you know, he's shown the ability to have a success with a rotation of wingers. Okay, yeah, comparatively, maybe to the other members of the team, yes. But you know, why is like whoever the odd man out's gonna be on that line that night? because of incoming, outgoing injuries, call-ups, whatever, just gets thrown on the Barzell line. And, you know, he's not scoring since he, you know, he scored those five goals in five games, missed that game in Calgary, and I think just picked up his first assist in five or six games against Toronto. Um, So the fact that they haven't tried to stack up that first line a little bit, uh, given what's happening here, um, has been, you know, a little bit frustrating for me. I think at a point, Barzell's comments showed that he was frustrated, t- citing the lack of chemistry and how difficult it is with some rotating line mates. But at the same time, he's very, very hesitant to, he goes out of his way sometimes to cover for Lane about how he has the control of the room. He's not too up, he's not too down. And part of me is thinking, oh, this is kind of what Barzell wanted. And and we go back to the yeah. offseason, whether or not he did or did not have say anything in an exit interview that might have, you know, persuaded Lou Lamarillo to move on from Barry Trotz and promote Lambert. But he wanted this less defensive structure, more offensively minded coach with some more freedom. 
Yeah, and but yeah, the freedom working. to have as many turnovers as the Minnesota Wild in one game and have no sort of repercussions at all. Not even a half of a post-game snicker, nothing of the sorts. I mean, this is I, – I already told you what they – the way they speak about him, the same way you speak about that teacher you loved because his class was easy and he never had to work hard. Oh, yeah, I loved that teacher, too. I would tell everybody he's the best. You should take his class. But is that the truth? Are we getting the best out of me as a student and as an individual? Absolutely not. Yeah. I greedily am getting what I want in the class, but I'm not getting the results that the world wants to see. All right. We we kind of segued off to Lane Lambert, but just – on, on Lou Lamarillo, in terms of, you know, what do you do as you approach this deadline? The fan base, I'm not sure if the fan base is split at this point, but if they're within three to five points, there are a lot of people that feel like Lou on his final year of his deal is not going to allow them to be sellers. He's going to look to buy what he can buy with what assets. I have no idea, but that scares me as a fan that you don't know what the future is for that, for that gentleman as the GM at his age, on a final year of a contract, and you're going to potentially allow him to make a win-now type move when winning is not a reality for this team, even if that's sneaking into an eight spot. Like a Ryan Smith. The Ryan Smith type move in 2007. Oh, man. You gave up three first-round picks. Now, granted, nothing came of any of them, which is a, you know an amazing No, but you, you, you can't say that, though. But you can't say that well, because that's just who else. they chose. That's yeah. who they chose. You say nothing came of that if all the names around that in the draft all were busts. Right. That's if that's if you that's when you say that because you don't know if you made that trade to a different team, they might have made the correct pick and then you'd mm -hmm. be sick to your stomach. You know, it's uh, when I go on hockey reference, it makes me feel a little bit better when you when you review the names that were, were selected over there. But you know, the Islander team at that point had never been a player for anybody at any point. So there was a little bit of excitement there that was just needed and Garth was in his first full year as, as GM at that point, and they made the move, and they had this great, you know, dramatic way of making it into the playoffs and Dublowitz in the last game of the season and down, you know, three points with two games to go, and they sneaked their way in, and then they got beaten five games by Buffalo in a pretty tight series that was more tighter than five games, but okay, that's it. And that would be yeah. the same type of scenario that you'd be mortgaging a future for to get – Losing five games to Boston? I just find it surprising that you have to actually explain it like this. Yeah, yes, of course. Do I have to say I'm yes? I'm just saying like, there are certain – there is any – even like I think the larger media, maybe they're not watching the games close enough. They're still talking, you know, Timo Meyer. They're still talking Jacob Chikrin. They're still talking about these names as if the Islanders are in a buyer's position or that a desperate Lou Lamarillo makes them a buyer. For what reason? The, the only I can't way find a you're reason worth anything – the only way you are worth anything is if you can get to that first wild card spot to at least keep you in the Metro where the teams all have big warts, big ones. Because if you get into that eight seed and you pull the miracle of a lifetime, just like Columbus did when they pulled the miracle of a lifetime and swept the number one seed, best record in the history of the National Hockey League, Tampa Bay Lightning. And you want to know what happened? They just got they cracked the next, the next round by the Boston Bruins because that's exactly what would be happening even if they did beat the Bruins. The level of not worth it is it is to get that second wild card. I swear to you, I'd rather not make the playoffs. If I could click mm -hmm. right now, second wild card, no playoffs. I'm taking no playoffs. So is there any I position I that any position in the stand? You know, based on what you've seen throughout the course of the year, what we know the limitations are of this team are. And I said they do have this eight game stretch now. I wrote it on Twitter last night. Nobody wants to think about this, but 
if there was ever going to happen, right? Because teams in all sports, when they go through a long losing streak, if they're finally able to break through and there's a big sigh of relief and they start playing loose, things happen sometimes, right? Even decent, almost every decent team will go on some kind of a winning streak at yes. some point, right? I, These next eight games are where that would happen. If it doesn't happen then, then the last 25 games will not mean anything. I want to of- overwhelmingly state something that I will maintain through the offseason, right through now, right through the end of time. Go open a book and look. I don't know what book is printing rosters out, but go look at the rosters of the teams in playoff position. Go look at the Seattle Krakens roster. Go look at the Minnesota Wilds roster. Go look at the Winnipeg Jets roster and tell me who you're impressed by. These teams have mediocrity. If you play as a team in the NHL, you can beat anybody. You can go on runs. It's still the structure and coaching and team effort that's number one. You can win with garbage. You can win with garbage in the NHL. These teams who were garbage last year, who have mostly the same cast of characters, are in playoff positions this year. And what excuse are you going to give me? No, this is time tested in the NHL. That's what happens. If you will beat skill in the NHL, will and structure will always beat a skilled team because you can look at some of these skilled teams, the Floridas, the Bluff Buffaloes, the Senators. They're all on the outside looking in and they can do through the legs, up in the air. They can do your Zegris plays, but it ain't mean nothing when it comes to actually winning hockey teams that embrace the nhl's version of small ball will always be rewarded it's why we were rewarded multiple straight years but fans will refuse to believe that they will refuse to believe it it doesn't matter how many years they need to see something like that it doesn't but they'll still think that timo meyer is gonna make the difference as we're giving up nine breakaways a game without any sort of structure or without any sort of cohesive units out there no you can get timo meyer you can go get three other all-stars i swear to you it will not do anything other than make you have some more high scoring losses it's the team structure that comes one and they have enough players to win with it and they have a vezina goalie if you have a vezina goalie and you can't make the playoffs you have made a massive mistake in terms of the way you have orchestrated your uh, system in front of him simple as that it right, sickens well, me with fans. It sickens me with fans. Let's take a break, get a drink, ah. and uh, we'll we'll take a breath and we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk Lou Lamarillo. We'll talk Barry Trotz. We'll talk Ilya Sorokin. Some people putting things out there around his future and more. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Joe Bono and Andy Francis. We'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
We're back. Eyes on Isles podcast, Joe Bono and Andy Francis, who's calmed down after um, the latest vent, cathartic. Yeah, l- listen, you know how things are. You've been at the dinner table. That's all I that have. is. That's just mm-hmm. a dinner table rant. It's nothing, and nothing more than. Now we're good. Yeah. Like I always said, it sh- I shouldn't be showing more passion than the team. So is there any circumstance that you can see that the team should consider buying anything? If they are two points, four points out, any circumstance, where do they have to be at the trade deadline to? Well, how do many games are there? Sell? Well, they would have to one hundred percent invert the way they're playing these games. If I see them go seven straight games holding the opposition to two goals or under, three goals or under, then I'm seeing a philosophy shift. And a commitment to realizing, oh, what we're doing just simply is not working. When I see people collapsing in front of the net, blocking everything, and just laying out for shots, when I see a team commitment, and then they're able to rattle off a couple of wins, but more importantly, keep pucks out of their net, make things easier for Sorokin, then I'll I'll think about it. So it's a combination of being within striking distance, but also the way they're playing. If those two things are happening at the same time, maybe you look at that. From a seller's perspective, some people are looking for that big bang thing to happen right now in terms of a sell-off and a rebuild. I don't see that happening for a variety of reasons. Um, One is I don't think you do that when you have uncertainty as to who's going to be the general manager uh, next year and beyond. I think it's too much of a franchise altering decision to start just completely tearing it down. And when we talk about that, that's not just, you know, trading Scott Mayfield for a pick and seeing if Zach Parisi wants to go chase a cup somewhere and moving Semyon Varlamov. Then you're talking about, you know, Brock Nelson perhaps as an all-star with a couple of years left on his contract, you know, does he work out somewhere that would be of interest? Um, you know, are there other types of players on this team that have some term and a, and a decent caps number that can generate uh, a bigger haul that can help you in the offseason, uh, you know, acquire that that score or that offensive threat that you need? I don't see that happening. I think either they try to make a one big swing of a move if they're in striking distance, a Ryan Smith type move, or they decide to just do what's right by the organization and sell off some pieces that are in the final years of their contract, recoup some assets and reevaluate come the summer. I, I, those, I don't see the other option happening. The, the reason I don't waste time on thinking about that, it's just a Gen Z millennial fantasy football, sell everything, hit, hit drop player, drop player. We know it doesn't work like that. that. Other than the one semi instance, but that team was, had a different construction than we had. But when the Ottawa senators sold off like Carlson and uh, stone and everyone who was a part of their Eastern conference final team, that's the only thing I can, that was brought to my attention. That's even remotely close like that. But when you think about the old school nature that Lamorello works, he honestly is not even going to trade the Parisis of the world. And I know I agree. He's going to get the Andy Green 
the Dano Char question, which is, do you want to get traded or do you want to stay? And yeah, if he yes. says he wants to stay, yeah. he'll stay. Yes. And then, then he, that will keep the reputation with Lou and people out there that he does right by them. And then he'll sign them secretly and not announce it to Isles fans and make Isles fans have, you know, further agitation with him and feel more disjointed from the team. All of this, all the death by a thousand needles, but this is what's going to happen. He, do you see him selling off all this stuff? This, this old man who's probably, you know, done. Do you, do you uh, at least see making those three moves or maybe no. two out of the three Mayfield or well, Olam only, off or only, just stays? Well, only if they want it to go. I mean, that's just not doing right a, for the organization if that's the case. Well, at least the he brought way he, back the way, he the way back Clutterbuck and Parisi last year. Well, he's going to say like I'm setting us up to re-sign Mayfield. I'm sending and Varlamov, right? He's I mean, Varlamov might. You, and listen, you can make an argument that if you're Sorokin is due for a pay increase if you're going to extend him and, and sign him to a eight nine million dollar contract. Varlamov may, comes back making one and a half, two million dollars, and your tandems are worth ten million then, and it's worth nine million now, and you're better off that way. That that, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock anybody if that was the case. Yeah. Uh, the like the reason I, I'm not disagreeing that they should do this, they should do that. I just don't waste time on it because there has been no indication that he's even remotely willing to do anything like that. The only thing that he's shown a willingness to do is do a sign and trade, trade for someone that he wants to keep for a long time. That's the only thing that he's demonstrated while he's been here. So there's no reason to believe that he'll change from that philosophy. They were even worse last year, and he wouldn't send off any well we spent all summer talking about and writing about you know the 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 infamous hockey trade that we were all waiting for and the hockey trade never came the trade the hockey unless you want to call a hockey trade i'm trading a first round pick for a young defenseman but that's not what i consider the hockey trade hockey trade to me is like what are my strengths what weaknesses you have vice versa let's make a hockey trade what helps you what helps me based on current nhl players well, and, uh, we haven't seen that uh, in any in any he's gonna say tomato tomato he's gonna say update your definitions then (laughs) right um, on, on the topic of Sorokin, this has been thrown out there in the, in the, in the Twitter sphere. And I think there's no, no, somewhat... uh, it's so it's been thrown out there in hell <laughs> where people want pound of flesh. Um, yeah. so this, this, I found, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I think the immediate reaction is of course not right. Which is, would the Islanders ever consider trading Elias Sorokin? And I was up late on Saturday night trying to get, you know, through the, I, I watched the Giants post game. I watched Dable. I watched Jones. I watched this stuff. I like being in a bit of misery after a bad loss as a, as a yeah. football fan, yeah. sports fan. And then I couldn't get back to sleep. And I see that there's a Twitter space going Islander hockey. And I see who's in there. Mr. Andy Francis is in there at 12, 12, 15. Right. So, you know, I'm a cave dweller and I, I you know, I see, I, 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 just like you, I saw it there. I put the and headphones it, in, I, I put it. the headphones in, I had it by my bedside table and I was listening. Oh I'm like, I hope someone God. doesn't like call for me or whatever to talk because I had to leave the room. Um, but the, the, this topic kind of came up and it's the person who was talking about it was even very aggressive about saying, you know, why not try to trade Sorokin right now during the, during this deadline and uh, you and I think some others kind of fought back that. And, and for the aforementioned reasons, I don't see that as a scenario. But the second scenario that was referenced to me does play out in that if the Islanders 
change the circumstances in terms of who's running the team and they make the decision to do a total rebuild and you're looking to extend Sorokin during the summer and you can't come to terms on a contract. To me, if those two things happen, a full rebuild, can't come to terms going into the final year of a contract, it is fair game to wonder whether or not you should be trading him at that point. Who's going to be trading him? <laughs> you know, I think that's another thing that has to, all of this stuff has to get worked I, sure, out. Sure. But I just want to kind of talk through that a little bit because if you were ripping it all down, and we don't think that's going to be the case. If Lou is here, that's not going to be the case. If they try to, if organizationally the owners go, okay, we got to do a complete about face because we're going to be in limbo, no man's land, mediocrity, finishing 10th and 11th in the conference for the next two, three years otherwise, and just prolong this phase longer. Then I think you have to look at that because it makes no sense to give eight, $9 million to a 29-year-old goaltender that's going to take him through 36, 37 years old if the first three, four years of that contract are going to be more of what we've witnessed this year. I think you forget how quickly things can change for teams. You know, if you have, for example, Barzell, Sorokin, Pulak, Pelik, you know, like one or two other players, you'd be surprised. Like if one prospect all of a sudden gets a ton of opportunity and starts playing well, maybe there's one down, real down year. But some, like a promising player really starts to shine. Then all of a sudden, you got that semi-excitement back. You still got that Vezina quality goaltending. And then everything just starts to shift quickly. You see these quick changes if you look at how many teams in the playoff positioning right now didn't make the playoffs last year. So when you see that happen so frequently, what the hell does tear it down even mean? Seattle just took everybody's change last year where a god-awful team and now they're Still one of the best teams in the west yeah well with bad goaltending but one of the best teams in the west yeah. you could make the and again that the I'm, west I'm not no saying good, but... you you aggressively pursue this I'm saying that I can't I can't go into next season with him being a UFA after the year with there being uncertain that much uncertainty I I, I would I'm feel with you right How that would this? be I'm really gonna, tough. I'm gonna tell you the same thing I told that guy Name me the last goalie who was in a similar circumstance who got traded. I mean, when this when there's almost a borderline no precedent for this stuff, it is very hard. You can say like a Robin Leonard, but you know for damn certain that Ilya Sorokin in his prime hitting the best part of his career is a whole hell of a lot different. The forward equivalent of Ilya Sorokin is putting like a superstar of and making him available with a long-term contract ahead of it before the deadline. So like th this is just, just borderline no precedence for this precedent for this. So it's, you, I, I do I, think I about that kind of, that. um, I, so I think of also about, you know, maybe a football analogy, <clears throat> you know, they're talking about this, what's going to happen with the giants next year with Daniel Jones and that all of a sudden you start paying your quarterback, your most important position, a much bigger number that impacts what you can do to fill out the roster and address other parts of the team. If you're playing your goalie $9 million a year, and that's making up 10%, 12% of the salary cap, doesn't that impact their ability to do that quick turnaround that you're talking about because 
the assets, the prospect pool is somewhat shallow. I think we would agree. There's only there's Ratu, there's um, Defour, there's a few players that maybe have some promise, but no one that projects to be a top flight prospect. So you have to think that ha- that have to be done through free agency to some extent. There's there's again, I just want to be clear on the record so no one comes at me. Only if you can't come to an extension deal with them during the summer. If after July 1st, you start negotiating and it's not going anywhere, which I would be surprised. I know he just started settling down in Long Island. I believe he bought a house. He's over at Shesterkin's house for Christmas. Him and Roman, Romanov and Romanov's wife all hang out. So I think he's going to stay. But if for some reason they can't come to terms, man, I'd be a little worried about going into that final year of the contract. Yeah. Um... A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I guess there's reason. You know, the, I think Islander fans, all of them have a little bit of PTSD. The mm-hmm. PTSD. I mean, if there is one thing you can credit Lou for, is just refuses to let people leave. Yep. I feel like no one's allowed to leave. I feel like he has dirt <laughs> on these people. Even guys who are like, all right, Clutterbuck, that's what he's probably on. No, even he stays, Parisi stays, despite having a few years left and wanting to win a Stanley Cup. I don't know what this guy – I don't know what he sends to their house, but uh, I could use some of that, Lou. And I'll start talking – I mean, I don't really uh, – no different with anyone else. You do awful things, I'll say, that was garbage. You do make good moves, I'll say, that's good work right there, you know? Uh, and as that guy said with the pound of flesh, you can fire him all you want, then what? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you while, wanted trots out. You wanted trots out. Now we get six breakaways a game. Now what? That's there's so, there's that that's saying, a, you know, head you, you move. listen, listen to the fans and you'll move. be sitting with them. We need something, a step up from that with Islander fans. Like, uh, you know, if you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting with them. Like, if you listen to those Islander orcs, you'll be... I don't know, clamoring for the ring on Mount Doom or something because they they don't they don't have they don't have realistic plans and but the thing is you should never be getting your plans from over there from that area you speak of. I treat I treat Twitter like the Islanders media treats blaming John McClain. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to even reference it because if you look over there, you're going to see some grotesque things and the solutions that they provide there are just they're borderline childish. They are that unrealistic. You can say all you want. Okay, now Nelson out, get somebody, get a playoff desperate team to just take Pajot's deal. None of this is happening. Shut your mouth because you've, you, other than a maybe one trickle of Ottawa doing this, whatever, five years ago, or whenever the hell that was, you never see this. And especially and the- Lou Lamarillo is not going to be the one to do it. Yeah, like, of course. Right. So stop wasting your time. And you already saw what the owner thinks about him. He likes hiding behind those two GMs of the year. So that's it. Deal with it. The, the best you can do is go get your Garcinot billboards that you put outside the Barclay Center. You want to do your – and keep chanting at the games. Keep heckling. A few blocks game. away from Barclay Center. Couldn't get it that Whatever. close. If you want like you you to make your impact, do that. But offering <laughs> these solutions that will never happen. It'll, it could get, it'll get ugly. I mean, I know that there was some Lou must, Lou must go type chance at the, the last yeah. home game. I didn't you – know, I don't know how audible they were. They didn't really reference them on the television. But people that were there you know, said that they could make it out. 
those will get louder if the team just continues this downward spiral um, overall. A um, couple more things. I put out a poll, a very scientific uh, Twitter poll uh, from hell um, <laughs> on uh, – on, um, because a lot of this is no way are the owners going to allow there to be a rebuild. They just, you know, they're two years into a brand new building. So I said, would a rebuild impact your decision to purchase or renew a season ticket package at UBS Arena? And considering that it's hockey fans, 60% said yes. And in the comments, of which there were a lot, um, people cited like all the other ancillary things around the cost of tickets going up and the order news and all this stuff and the fact that they can get tickets for $25 a night of, and why would I have to? So there's more to it than that, but you just wonder how much that plays into this as they try to make this a world-class facility and destination and experience. And you know, right now it looks like two straight years without any playoff hockey to kind of capitalize on and maintain that inaugural season there from a season ticket holder base. And you know, they'll, it's a big leap for them too, I think, to say, let's, let's rip this thing apart. And we've gone as far as we can with this group and we'll accept a ranger like type of rebuild where we communicate a plan to everyone and see who sticks around. And hopefully they come back when the team starts turning a corner and winning. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, just because it was just interesting timing that this article came out um, because uh, Chris Botta on Twitter, hell, um, talked about, he referenced <laughs> something about how Barry Trotz still has one year left on the contract and basically saying, you know, don't put it past Lou to make a coaching change, even though he just brought in Lane Lambert. Like you can see him and maybe Lou wants, maybe Barry wants to come back. They talk all the time, bring Barry back. And that started uh, people, you know, talking about that scenario, but I'll leave that to the side. There was an article on The Athletic that came out today, Life Lessons with Stanley Cup winner Barry Trotz, who will be back soon enough. And I tell you, just reading through that, it made me miss the guy. Just how articulate and transparent he was um, as a coach. And we don't have that anymore with Lane Lambert. And I know every coach and every person has their different styles. But it's going to suck if he is with another organization next year and coaching and turning them around. It's really going to suck. Well, you got to be prepared to see your ex with someone else. And you know, the people with, uh, while they were up there with, but that's when the ex breaks up with you. When the ex breaks up with you, I don't know. No, no. When, no, when you break up with your ex, when you break up with your ex, no, all I'm saying is that that's one of the consequences that sometimes you don't foresee. You know, you, you're you up there with the guillotine. You chop that head off. Then you see your team start to plummet. You start to gain weight. You have to have some love handles. She uses that breakup as motivation. She goes somewhere else. She's got those pictures. She's looking good. And now all of a sudden, you're the depressed, lonely guy who's not making the playoffs. And that's just something that you have to see. You know, a lot of times in, like, breakups, there is the unforeseen sadness that you didn't think. And then you become that guy crawling back. And then look at the Isles fans right now you already said there are people in hell Twitter that are saying why don't we put him back on the bench this is what people do they scream for the backup and then when the backup is in they scream for the original starter and the merry-go-round keeps going I heard it I have a good one good put it out there in the universe type of thing right what if Barry Trotz runs the Islanders 
I don't know. I call this desperate housewife stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't partake in all these theoretical things that have an under 1% chance of actually taking place. That'd be a good storyline. Yeah. But no, but it's also, it, it, would, it, it would just decide brings back Barry. Barry's now the GM president of hockey ops. Okay. Lambert, that sounds like coaches there. That mm-hmm. sounds like when WCW knew they were going out of business and they made <laughs> Bischoff uh, David is Arquette. This, Kevin Nash is yeah, this. David Arquette became the champion and it was they were fledgling all over. There's no worse thing you can do than bring back the guy you fired in a higher role. The classic Islanders Lord Heading. If Butch there was Boring. ever a franchise to do it, there's some I mean, look at what's happened with that GM spot over the course of the years. Milbury, um, Daniel Smith and the Triumvirate, and then Garth, and then it's been a very curious position. It's been helped. I mean, Tory, and then yeah, there have been too many of them over all these. I, I years. don't think that's very likely because it would be no, admitting you made a massive fun idea. mistake. Fun idea. That was it. Just a fun idea. Um, all right. So listen, are you burying? Are they buried? Dead and buried uh, yet? We're gonna do the Mike Francesa. Well, are they done? No, because the East is. The, canceled the, i mean right? the middle of the east down other than those first four or five teams everyone else is bad washington's bad pittsburgh's bad all those teams can go on major losing streaks you're even starting to kind of see them with these other teams there's a reason they can't pull away so you can get there the only way that i would have some sort of renewed hope is if the style that they play changes and you start to see them actually use their strong suit, which is Sorokin, and build out from there rather than try to contend with these teams simply because there's no more Barry Trotz there. And then shut teams down, commit to a team game, show the level and ex- like the level of effort that they gave in that first period and seeing that in a game-in, game-out basis, which is honestly unlikely at this point, and then getting to that wild card one. That's the only way I would have any sort of optimism. Wild card two, you might as well not even watch. All right, well, listen, for me, it's wild games, card one or nothing. Next five games, I'm at Ottawa tomorrow night, Wednesday night, home to Detroit on Friday, Saturday, home to Vegas, then at Philly on Monday, home to Seattle on Tuesday. We're going to figure out how we're, you know, how and when we're going to fit in the podcast next week. But, you know, five games probably before the next time we're on, you know, we'll know by then whether or not there's anything left to watch other than because we can't look away, but in terms of watching it with uh, the thought that there could be any kind of a run in them left to go. Speaking of fired coaches, uh, Bruce Boudreau, who just got the ax in Vancouver, that speech that he gave the capitals is literally what I'm clamoring for. The one that like, you know, always makes the HBO one. Yeah. I just want to play that out loud in the Islanders locker room. Every single day. That's really because they have no voices in there saying anything. And yeah, I could say, oh, well, you don't know what it's like behind closed doors. Yeah, but you get the vibes. You get the vibes. All right. They're eating pancakes on a daily basis. Everything's fine behind closed doors over there. And they, they you get the, the vibe with around the team is that they all know each other, respect each other, like each other so much that no one is. Yes, they are. They want to believe in each other. Yes, they have confidence themselves in the group, but no one's holding each other to task on an individual level. That that, that yep. is the vibe. That is the hundred percent. 
All right. Well, listen, that'll do it for this episode of Eyes on Isles. We appreciate you being with us. Follow me on Twitter at IslesFix and follow Andy at Andy Francis with two S's. We will talk to you next time on Anders Country. We'll see whether or not they've slipped more in the standings or maybe surprised us. We'll talk to you next time. Good night.